Welcome to the People, Passion, and Purpose podcast, where you will hear from creative small business owners in the trenches every single day, talking story, talking lessons, talking failures, talking truth. I'm your host, Nina L. Kovner. Thank you so much for joining us. And now I get to introduce probably my best friends in the entire world. I'll say that. Yeah, I, well, you are, but I was trying, you are, but I was trying to loosen it up a little bit so it didn't feel like it was so incestuous. Yeah, so I was, I, Nina Kovner is the host of the People, Passion, and Purpose podcast. She's also the founder of Passion Squared. She's a coach to the industry. She has a long legacy and history in this industry. She's one of the smartest marketers I know. And I'm going to take a couple minutes to talk to her about her podcasting and why she's in this space and let her introduce herself to you um, as my maybe not best friend at this moment. (laughs) So welcome, Nina Kovner. Thank you, Gordon Miller. Hi, everybody. So we're going to be doing the live podcast recording in just a moment. She's going to introduce her guest for this very special episode with you all here. Um, But first, Nina... Yes. Why podcast? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, we actually started Passion Squared together. If people don't know the whole story, but very early on, we had a um, conscious uncoupling and Gordon bailed on me. Just that's the truth. Uh, but, but even back in like the, I don't even know what we call them now, the 2010s. I don't even know how do we say that anymore. Um, voice was definitely coming up and, and there was this big podcast kind of renaissance and then it disappeared. And so, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, podcasts are new. It's like, no, actually podcasts were very much around, uh, very much like blogging, traditional blogging. And I used to actually do an audio recording for every single blog that I wrote every single day at the beginning of the launch of our company. And I remember saying to our community, is the the audio valuable to you? And they're like, no, we don't really listen to it. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to take that hour out of my morning. But before you made that decision not to do more, you actually interviewed one of the more interesting personalities in the entire world of disruption and technology, and his name is? I did, Gary Vee. Back in 2013, team, I think it was. Gary was on the blog, vlog, podcast. It's still on there. Yeah, it was a, it's a great interview. I should upload that to, it's really good. And what's interesting is that it, it was so long ago, but not much has changed in terms of the stuff that we talked about, which was the whole purpose of social. You know, you have to remember back then people are like, Facebook's a fad and this is dumb and We hate Yelp, which people still say. Um, So, uh, and we were using Instagrams because there were cute filters that we could like put a tree in the middle of it and like make it all like cute. Uh, So it's it's interesting though to see this this renaissance in podcasting. What inspired uh, me to launch this particular podcast really was stuff you and I were talking about and you were practicing a lot before you started your first podcast. Uh, back years ago, I mean, how many years, five years ago, whenever it was. And, uh, and so, you know, at Passion Squared, we work with creative small business owners, primarily in the salon industry, who have the most incredible stories. 
and like story stories. And, and, and I'm a big fan of storytelling and also a big fan of the authenticity that comes when you have honest conversations about what it takes to be a business owner and the lessons and the wisdom and, and just the richness and the authenticity that comes from that. I wanted to share those stories in, in a format that people are into right now. And, uh, so th- that was it. There was no agenda behind it, except I know a lot of cool people with a lot of wisdom and a lot of great stories and, and other people need to hear these. And, and so that was the inspiration behind it. And Nina's one of the best storytellers that we know. And storytelling is really the foundation of great marketing today, great digital marketing. But I, as somebody who's been around for a long time in the beauty industry, I feel like one of the gifts that this industry has is the ability of hairdressers behind the chair to tell stories to their clients all day, every day. It's one of the reasons that we consumers, I'm one of them, loves you all so much. So it's fascinating. The world has gotten to the point where it is where storytelling has become the foundation of great marketing. And you all have been doing it since as long as I've known you all, which is, for me is now 40 years. So uh, one of the best storytellers I know, one of the best marketers I know, um, one of the bu- best podcasters I know. Oh, so welcome to the Hairbrain Community Room, Nina Kovner. And I'm going to turn this over to you to begin your podcast and introduce your guest. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Hairbrains. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. This week we have an incredible incredibly special episode for a few reasons. One is we are live at ISSE in Long Beach. Welcome everybody in the Hairbrain Room. And thank you so much to PBA and to Hairbrains for inviting me to record a, this very special episode. So it's a little different and, and just a little bit more exciting. And boy, do I have a guest for you. This incredible human being has already been a guest on our podcast and has shared so much wisdom, so much passion, so much truth. And um, I have invited her back to continue the conversation around all things beauty, independent education, social media, um, the most recent episode of Blackish and all the things. It is such an honor to welcome our friend of Passion Squared and my friend Kia Neal. Kia, welcome. I'm so excited. Are you live? No, I'm not live, okay. but you know, I have to <laughs> capture the moment. I'm oh, so honored I, to be I mean, here. Of course. Of oh my course. Gosh. Well, thank you so much for, thank you so much for saying yes. Always. Absolutely. Always, always. And there's so many things that, so many things I want to ask. So let's get right into it. First off, what inspired you to even enter this amazing industry? How'd you get here? A girl named Denise Brown. She was just my friend. I was dropping out of school for journalism. Quite funny, we're back here doing blogs. Journal- we're doing journalism. Yes, like, right you know, now. social media calls for everybody to be a journalist. So I was in college and I was bored and I did not want to do that anymore. And she said, you should do hair. And I said, do hair for what? And she said, 
on people. I said, for money? And she was like, yeah, you're pretty good. You like hair and makeup. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. So it was kind of on a, on a whim. But you know what? When I got into it, I realized that I really did love it. And I think it really allowed me an opportunity to spark and to dive into my own passions that I didn't know lived there. And so my artistic side got to meet my nerdy side because mm -hmm. I loved all the theory. And then, you know, just here we are, all the other things just... They're still coming back, though, you see. So journalism has made its way back. So that's pretty interesting. I love that. I love that. So you, you created a movement. Yes. Um, called Texture Versus Race. Yes. So, whoa. I know. I know. You know, everybody hears that and they're like, what are you going to talk about? And they're like, what is this going to be? And I'm like, no, pause. It's good. It's okay, so good. can you, for those that, of those that are listening today that did not hear the first episode that you were on on the podcast, can you share a little bit about what is Texture versus Race and why, did, why do you think it's important? So Texture versus Race was born from a place of well, for myself, let me say, I actually started working in a very multicultural salon about 15 years into my, my career. And I had a very traditional black African-American salon. And when I moved and relocated, I was able to work with a lot of people who did not look like me at all. And that was very stifling for me because I did, I felt very out of place. I felt very, uh, mis, misplaced actually. And I just, I learned, I functioned and I learned, but I felt like that should not be the case. I felt like the salon should and could be more inclusive as a whole. I realized just how segregated this, the industry really was still. I didn't realize it just being in my own space, but going into other spaces, I realized that the church and the salon were still the only two institutions left to be segregated, uncontested. Nobody was saying a word. And then when I got, uh, I was asked to do a class for the ABCH on texture, I realized that everyone wanted to know, they just didn't know how to ask. They didn't have the safe space to get the education that they needed. They didn't have the safe space to have a conversation that we really needed to have. We didn't, so when I got the opportunity to do that, I was like, is it texture, is it race? Are we talking about hair as a fabric? Or are we talking about race and culture? And why can't we get to a point where we understand that hair is a fabric and not a race? And we learn to accept each other as maybe a difference in culture, but making a new culture of just being about the hair, period. 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 I love that. Thanks. So let's talk about ABCH. Yes. Last year at the American Board of Certified Colorists. Okay, I'm going to cry already. And it's, Don't cry. Nina. I cry in the podcast if you've ever listened to our podcast. You gave the most incredible keynote talk. See, I'm getting all like, I mean, seriously. It's not just the mess. The message was amazing and all the things, but you're also a very powerful presenter. Thank you. You are. Did you have any training? 
Like, because you're an educator, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I, when I think back to that day, and and just it was so special and so beautiful. And I know that there's so many independent educators and educators that are are wanting to get stronger in their speaking skills and their presentation skills and and all those things.、Um, how did you learn to become such a powerful speaker? I love to tell stories. You and Gordon just said that this is all about the power of telling a story, and I believe that for me, my power comes from my ability to pull from my own experience. I don't talk about things that I've not lived, things that I've not done, and so my experience lends itself as a lead. More than just trying to write, read, and write what's on paper. And I think for people that are trying to become more of an educator, need to start educating from the perspective of the crowd and the person they're trying to reach, and understanding what part of what you're saying are they really leaning into, what part are they really accepting from you. So when I teach, as well as when I speak, I'm thinking, what part of this is she going to ask me? I'm trying to. Attach a, attack a question before it's even asked. I'm trying to give the answer before they ask it because I'm already thinking. What am I thinking if I were sitting in her chair? What would I want to know if I were sitting here? What, as an educator, out of, of what I'm doing, what is it that would she want to know specifically? And so from that, I build. But most importantly, I build from my own experiences, and I build from a place of authenticity and organic. No training, actually. My mother told me that I was the only note I ever got consistently from school was she talks too much. <laughs> so, I mean, and I got biggest mouth. Of my <laughs> class. So I mean, that's that's why we're so in、yeah. love.、Uh, okay, so no training even as an educator. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. Okay, so, so let's talk about that. that kind of journey. Okay, what inspired you to want to educate? Educate. So. Quite ironically, I went to a school because I didn't have any real, you know, innate. So I thought an innate、uh, ability to do hair. I decided. My parents said, "Well, if you're going to go, you're going to go to a really good school." So I ended up going to a school called、um, Dudley Dudley、uh, Cosmetology University, which is an all black salon. If you, I mean, not salon school, but they were accredited. They were the only school that would mimic in the black community your Vidal Sassoon,、mm. if you will, and they offered advanced education. They were the only ones that was doing advanced、uh, education in that way for different things. But again, it was very African American orientated. Okay, but seeing that education from the beginning and having that particular level of insight from the beginning sparked that that said, "I want to do that. I want to be just that passionate. I want to give back to someone else." So they gave me an opportunity to learn because I was so smart. I wasn't good at doing hair. Let me be clear. I messed up <laughs> everything I did the first six months being there. I was a mess. But I was smart. I mean, how do you send home somebody with 104, you know, grade point average in for the book theory, even though I sucked at roller sets and everything else?、Uh-huh. But then I got a job with another company after Dudley. I worked with them for a while, and then I started working with another company called Influence Hair Care, and they really helped 
teach and to, to, to mold me as a, as a platform artist. Learning how to work with people, how to have conversation, how to engage the audience, keep the, keep people's attention, how to work and speak at the same time. They really gave me that, that particular amount of, of experience that I'll forever be grateful for. I love that. And I had that same training as an educator in the 80s. Well, I think Ooh. that's what's made us too. I there think was a lot I, of training. There in was a lot of training. Presentation skills and, like you said, platform artists and how to work with three people on a stage and all the things. We had to videotape. I didn't even know videotapes existed back then, but I remember we had to stand in front of something and talk, scare the shit out of me. Well, you're right, because they always said, watch it and you can see your yeah. own idiosyncrasies. And I never watched none of them, still don't. <laughs> Mortified. I hate my own voice, so I won't oh. listen to anything that I've done. I don't listen to any of my stuff either. Never. Do you listen? Oh, I know Gordon listens to his because he, he's, we mm. work differently. <laughs> uh, okay, so educator. So you have that traditional education training. Yes. Then you move into your own education brand. I was forced. I was pushed to do that. What I believe. That? What do you mean by that? Well, I think that, I, I think people have a destiny and however you're going to get there, you're going to get there. Whether you take the long road, whether you take it over the hill and through the woods, I believe everybody <laughs> has a destiny and we're all going to get there eventually. And I believe that this company was there to do what they were supposed to do, which was give me the training that I need, the formal training that I needed. But I believe that my destiny was to always be an independent, independent edu- educator and to do this. So they fired me twice. They fired me, brought me back and fired me again. <laughs> I know, right? That's such a gift, though. It was a gift. I want to send them a card every year. Every yeah. time I think back over my life, I want to thank them for letting me go. Because sometimes I believe we hold on to things even past the expiration. Mm. And when you're supposed to go, you need to go. And we don't always go. We don't know how to let go because it's what we know, what we love, where we think we want to be. We're comfortable. Why? And they were like, no, you know, things have changed. And, uh, you know, we're not doing this, whatever it was. And they, they pushed me, but they, they had to because I would never have left because I was way too comfortable. So when they pushed me, I thanked them because I knew that I would never do that again. But it wasn't until years later, just a few, where I realized what my purpose was. I really wanted to send them like, you know, what is that fruit called? The, the fruit basket. Fruit cake? No. Oh. What's the edible arrangements? Like oh. I keep thinking I'm going to send them like, this oh, big edible. Nice, like, yeah, like you. a card. It's just, I thought you. like it was good. You want to send them something no. like mean. <laughs> no, I want them to know. Like fruit cake, were, right? Isn't that like the mean gift? No, no. I'm or not, not mean. I wouldn't. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I want about. them to know they were a part of my process. And if it wasn't for them doing that, no matter how it felt at that time, it was necessary for what I'm doing right now. That's such a, it's such a cool story. I didn't know that. I did not know that. And you know, I was raised up by a, a, an incredible entrepreneur for 25 years. I worked for John Paul DeJoria right. of John Paul Mitchell Systems. And, and he taught me very early on in my career that it is actually a gift to let people go find yes. their gift, you know, and that if things are just not fitting, that it's okay because we don't want to hold people back and we want to let people find that. And I think it's such a great lesson for salon owners. I think it's a great lesson for any type of leader, manager, whatever. And even on the employee side to say like, as much as we don't want to let go, as much as we want everything to just be like 
there is always going to be some sort of opportunity, lesson, gift by by detaching. You know, there is. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that we hold on to things way too long. I don't believe that. You know, sometimes when we're told we're supposed to go, we don't. And when we're supposed to let someone go, we don't. And I always tell everybody who ever asks me, what's my what's the one thing I would share with any salon owner? And it would be don't be afraid to let them go. And, you know, the one thing I only regretted about firing someone or ending a friendship or a relationship or anything is just not doing it sooner when I knew I needed to. Hanging in there too long. What a lesson for all of us. Such a good reminder. <clears throat> so let's talk about independent education a little bit. Sure. It's fucking hard. I was just about to say that and I did not <laughs> want to jump in. This is hard. <laughs> It was easy when someone sent you the flight and sent you the hotel and sent you logistics and you had to just show up and be cute and do a job and walk away with a check. You could care less about the table, about money, about any of that. This is hard. This is really, this is adulting on a whole nother level. A whole nother level. Oh my gosh. What do you wish you knew before you got into independent education? What do I wish I knew? how to build a team and manage expectations of that. Hmm. I wish I knew how to build an infrastructure before I did it because I, I wish I knew I would need so many people ah. to help me and know how to put that together before I did it. I kind of just did it. And then I was like, oh, good Lord, I need somebody to do this. And oh, I need someone to do that. And oh, I need this. And dang, where's the marketing people when you need them? <laughs> where's the marketing people? <laughs> Where are the marketing people? As you're sitting looking at As yourself in your phone. <clears throat> Here I am. Yes. I'm like, sheesh. I got to get my own content, cut it, put it together, design it, post it, respond to it, share it, engage people. I'm like, Really? It's a lot. I love that you said, like, it, it, it really is about you are building, you're building a brand, right? And it could be big or small, but there's still infrastructure attached to that. There's still marketing Absolutely. attached to that. So there's still a business model attached to that. There's sales attached to that. Inventory attached. I mean, there's everything, right? That part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot. So let's shift gears a little bit to social media. Speaking of building mm-hmm. independent education brand, obviously... Here we are in 2020. Ooh, I love saying that. I know. 2020. We're seeing so clearly. And <laughs> that was so dumb. <clears throat> uh, and so social media, obviously, duh. Like, we don't have to talk about, like, convince anyone about it. But you are quite the social media connoisseur. And there's a few things I want to talk about because it really is tied to the marketing side of the re- what it really takes to build an independent education brand, right? Or any type of movement. So two things. One is, let's talk about Facebook for a minute because, okay. you know, so many people are like, oh, Facebook, bleh, you know, but everyone's still fucking on there, you know? So it's like, <laughs> okay. But you, I think it was last year, mm-hmm. you built, you opened up the Texture versus Race Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. So that's a big responsibility. It was. Can we talk about that? Kind of what your inspiration was behind opening the group and some of the things you've learned in navigating a Facebook group. Okay. 
that is, this is great. First of all, let me just say this. Social media for me is, you know, when you say like you're a huge, you know, person on social media, I really am not quite, you know, I think what I had to realize is that it's not in numbers. And this is one of the things I try to tell people to be influential does not mean you have to have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers. It's about who you are influencing as a whole. Who are the people that are actually engaging with you? So the people that do follow me, when someone looks at my page, like you all should be doing so you can look me up and follow me so you can help me out right here. Everybody listening. You should see, you would see that I have made five or 6,000 followers on Instagram. Well, that wouldn't necessarily make me an influencer, but yet here you are saying that I have a huge influence. Oh, yeah. But why is that? Because it's not about how many people are listening to you. It's about who is listening to you. And that's the thing. So I'm mostly influential because I have the best people, the people that really have some type of, of connection to my movement and to my message, they're the ones that are following me. So I try not to, and I tell everybody, don't get so caught up on numbers that we start not really paying attention to content and really paying attention to who's bringing value to that page, not just because they have a huge following, because that cannot mean nothing at the end of the day. So to your question, just wanted to say Amen. that. Amen. All right. So to your question, yes, you can clap for that because that's just You can clap for that. Yes, you can. Not saying I don't want followers because if followers and numbers depict the impact that I'm going to have, then yes, I want the following. But I want the right following. I don't want right. people just it's going the there for nothing. It's right. all back to it's intention all about and energy. Put, yes, I love that. So Facebook group, everybody thinks that everybody's uh, grandma and, and old aunties are on Facebook. But I'll be honest, I get the most engagement on Facebook. For whatever reason, people do more talking, sharing and growing with me on Facebook than they are on Instagram. And I think it's because I give so much more of myself. They get an opportunity to see so much more of me on Facebook than they do with a picture and a snippet of a video on Instagram. So I think people on Facebook tend to have more engagements, especially with the groups. So when I did the group, I was able to create a space for us to have conversation, real heavy conversation around the texture versus race movement. And people were able to really bring their authentic self, even when they said, OK, listen, I've got a, a really you know, dumb question, but you guys don't jump on me. The the first thing we said was, no one will ever attack you. This is a space for learning and growing. And that's how you build. Well, that's what I had to do to navigate that. Set that out first. This is not a space for argument, for you know, um, being defensive or being offensive. This is a space for us to learn and grow. If you're not you know, contributing, then you're just kind of in the way. So you set really clear yes. agreements, healthy boundaries. Boundaries. I encourage all questions and I want people to, to be honest about how they feel, even if it's, the comment is you know, offensive to them. Acknowledge the comment or the question from a perspective of, of, of legating ignorance. That person does not know. Answer the question. Now, if they're gaslighting you. Don't think I don't have people set in the side. Like, well, that, I was my, that was going to yeah, be my yeah, next you know. question is what happens when people just go? Then I get, I get a Brenda Amaral on them who has no filter, no hose bar, and I don't have to be the bad guy. Hashtag I get no filter. Hashtag no filter. And she'll get in their inbox and she'll say, hey, look, guy, dude, 
you're acting like a, you know, such and such. And, you know, I'm not going to repeat what she says. Uh-huh. She'll, she'll tell them, she'll like, I, or, well, first of all, she'll start off nice. She does start I, I, off nice. Yes. She does. She yes. starts off, she'll say, hey, I don't think what you said is, you know, truly, you know, appropriate. I think, you know, you could have said it a different way. I think what you said was highly offensive to the people that we're trying to communicate with and have community with. And if they respond with something, you know, she comes straight up and, you know, it's just, that's just what it is. So. How do you deal with people that don't respect your boundaries in the Facebook group? We block them. We take them out and we block them because we don't allow that. Because if you, it it only takes one person to make one person feel bad about something and everyone else takes cue. And so now you have no, no one else wants to say anything and everybody's afraid to comment. And then it takes me just that much longer to try to wound them back into being open and honest. So my thing is, is if we set the boundary straight and we say and acknowledge that we understand that so-and-so is being a butt. OK, we we because we, I'm trying to be nice. Yes. You know, we understand that so and so was highly <laughs> offensive. We do not condone that. This is not what we're about, blah, blah, blah. And we will say that and make it known so that people can see that we did come to the to defense of them in that area and took care of it. How many moderators do you have in that in the group? Ten. Ten. That's a lot of work. N- n- no, not really. No, well, let me say admins. Is admins, that what you mean? Yeah, the admins. They're just, yeah, they're just moderate conversations. They get, and, yes, because what they do is they get to decide what actually gets posted because we don't just let everybody post anything. So you, you do the pre-approved? Yeah, I don't like it. And it's a lot of work, but it cuts down on the junk because sometimes I feel like we have too many other outlets and sources to post all your junk. And I and people put things into what is that group where they just kind of shoot everything out to every group that they, they're a part of. And so I get a lot of junk loaded in the feed. So what I'll do is to be able to cut that out, I'll make sure that we're clear about what the content is. Is this content going to produce conversation? Is this content asking for questions or asking for advice about a situation? Does this content allow us to to talk about a particular subject or something that's happened in the news that we can all learn from. Is this going to help our community or is this going to harm us? That doesn't mean it's always positive. That doesn't sure. mean it's always Absolutely. good. It just but it's clear. It's it clear. goes back to your boundaries. It's like, and, and this speaks to not just Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. This speaks to leadership. This speaks to, I mean, how you navigate your own Instagram page. And Absolutely. as a brand, as, as a business brand, as a personal brand, what we allow Mm-hmm. We will continue, right? And so having clear agreements and boundaries, having clear guidelines as to what's contributing to the conversation mm-hmm. and what's not. Not that it's not a bad question. It's just like it doesn't fit here. That goes somewhere else. Yes. You as the leader have to set those clear, crystal clear parameters, guidelines, framework in order to have this successful group. So the word successful let me ask you, what is the impact been of having this Facebook group? What has the impact been to your independent education brand so, and you as an educator? So for me, the impact is when I get an inbox that says, I did my first black girl today. That's impact. When they say, I had someone of another race come to my salon and my team was scared and they said, we don't know how to do black hair. And I was able to tell them what you said. And I was able to change how my team reacts and responds when someone that does not look like them come through the door. That's impact. It's impact when someone says, 
I want to know more. I want to connect with you more. Where are the classes? Who are the, who are the sources and the resources that you have available so that I can come and learn to do more and learn more about me in this? I've had people cry and say, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a bad person. Or I didn't think I was such as, I didn't think I had these thoughts, but maybe I do, or maybe I'm giving that, giving that off. Not on not on purpose, but maybe I'm unintentionally giving off this particular persona and I don't want to. How do I change that? Like when people come back and ask or say, I made impact in my community or my salon or I did something today to see a girl in Utah who has told me that she has (laughs) no color around her at all, not even beige, really. She said it. She's like, there's no one there. And I said, but they'll come from miles around. If you present yourself that way and you brand yourself as a curly specialist, you will see these people who you just aren't circumventing around right now. They will seek you out. And so now she's on live. She's on her Facebook page doing braids. She's doing twist outs. She's doing curly. And it doesn't matter what race they are. She's got like a collider color of people and texture on her page. And so it's just beautiful to see it just bloom. I love that. So let's shift to Instagram since we're on social. You do Instagram, you use Instagram Live a lot. I do. Um, And you're very active on Instagram. You're active in stories. Um, Instagram's interesting. There's sometimes it's a little, um, I don't know. Temperamental. Temperamental. What a beautiful word. They are very temperamental. Um, Some days they like me and some days they don't. So... As a storyteller, as a content creator, as an educator, as a leader, as all those things, how do you see the difference between a hater, a hater troll potster, and a person that is sharing a comment that doesn't agree with yours? I think for me, I don't view anybody as a hater until the second or third exchange. I welcome anybody's comment as if it does not agree with me. Now, I don't always feel like you have to say you're negative, but if you just have, if you're just giving it to me in a space of, well, I don't agree with this and this is why, then I'm going to entertain that because one of the art of being an influencer and a leader is being able to listen as well mm-hmm. as you are speaking. So I want to hear what your perspective is. Now we're having a conversation. And now if I respond and you go, oh, no, 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 no. And, you, and then you start attacking and coming from a space that I, is very clear that you're not trying to see my side. You just want to be heard and you just want to be um, harmful to me. And you're causing harm to that thread. Then I'll cut that off and I'll just delete it. But I won't do it the first time. Just because they don't agree with you does not mean they're hating on you. Everybody is not a hater because they don't agree. You can't be right about everything and everybody's just individual. So I welcome if someone said something other than what I believe, but this is how we can get to an end and say, well, let's agree to disagree or I respect your thoughts on that. Thank you so much for your input. And we got to be able to leave it right there. So you, I, I really, I like, I like that. I, 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 I like that you said you wait. I wait. And you know, what I've noticed on Instagram, particularly in the professional beauty industry, which can be mm-hmm. spicy. Mm-hmm. I don't know the right word. Is that spicy? I don't think I've ever fucking said that word in my life. 
Um, <laughs> I see some companies instantly delete. Right. I don't agree with that. How I've that had companies do that to me. And I'm like, but I'm trying to have a conversation. And if you wanted the best for your company, if this was something that you want to show your, your viewers, your watchers, your, your following that you engage, you want to show them that you have some level of interest. So the minute that we say something and you don't agree or you think I'm coming for you, that's what we say. We think I'm coming for coming you. Coming for you. And they automatically delete me. That lets me know that you don't have any interest in this particular subject. So that has happened where a huge brand said something, put up something that was hugely and I mean widely offensive to a lot of people. And they had like six or seven hundred comments at the time. This was way back then. And their answer was to kind of put up another post that kind of said, hate it or love it. And I'm paraphrasing. It kind of was like, and what? We said what we said. And I was like, oh, really? Now, did you? Okay. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, well, so if you if you meant it so much, then what does that mean? Does that mean that you don't do this? Da, 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 da. Is this is, does, can I take this to mean that you don't agree with this? You don't stand for that. This is what we can. And they pretty much just kind of blocked me. And, you know, and I was like, oh, well, OK. But I think you're making moves. If, if you don't get blocked and put out of a group at some point, you're not doing enough. <laughs> you're not doing enough. You're just falling in. That, I have a new 2020 goal. Yeah, to get blocked. You Somebody fucking block me. Block. You got to get blocked. You got to get blocked. You got to get your comments turned off. I mean, when people start stuff in groups now, they <laughs> I automatically mean, Taylor go. Swift turns comments off. If I don't like Swift that. Do it. I, no, don't block no, me. Take it. Like when people say, oh, Kia, what are your thoughts? They drag me into conversations. I'm not even, I don't even see this stuff. They bring me in and they go, oh, Lord, here she goes. So then they block me before I even say anything. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't say anything. I mean, I, I think I the message, I think <laughs> it, it, the reason I ask this question is the, the, the message is for, for us all as storytellers, as stewards of brands, as, as all the, all those things is to just be really clear and mindful as as to what impact we're having when we decide to literally um, say your Turned voice off. doesn't matter. Right. And as long as you're okay as a brand saying, I'm okay saying your voice doesn't matter, we just have to own it and we have to be aware of it and, and just honest about about that. And I like that you, to me, this wait a minute and like dig a little deeper, mm -hmm. that to me is empathy, like in action. And I think it's really cool. And I just learned something like Passion Square doesn't get a lot of haters, but I just feel like we may get more this year because I'm, I, well, I have know. more to say. Well, you know what? You got to, when you have more to say, the more you have to say that leans <laughs> into your personal perspective. You're opening yourself up to someone saying, I don't agree. And that is okay for them not to agree. But do you also have to remember now, this is my platform. So the more that my platform reflects my personal views, right? I have to be okay also with saying, you don't have the right to debate me and go back and forth and berate me because you don't like what I said either. So I do cut it off. And I believe that, like you said, when you, when you are your brand and you stick by what you say and you said what you said, be okay with being you, but be just as okay with how people perceive that too and yeah, how they respond to it. That's a really good it. point. So let's kind of shift over to, speaking of kind of um, controversial things that I love talking to you about. Mm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Blackish. Oh, 
my one show. of my favorite shows. Like one, I literally like one of the only series that I actually like watch in order. And there was an episode la- week before last yep. episode um, that featured a black hair salon. Yeah, and you have some feelings. I do have around it, and that. I wanted to talk about it because I have not had an opportunity. I know you did some lives. I know you said mm-hmm. some things. I was busy prepping, focused for the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have a feeling I know, but can we talk first for context? Absolutely. Tell us about the episode, and then tell us about what we can all learn from that episode. Okay, your views and all the things. So, Blackish, if you're if you're familiar, they're a show that usually takes subjects and they they bring content around the subject matter, and and usually around subject matters that get muted. That don't, that, you know, people don't talk about. They really dive into the black community. They're kind of representative of um, s- some of the black culture that goes on to the salon. You can kind of get a good understanding of how black people roll, if you will, by watching blackish. And most of the time, it's kind of spot on. I'm usually right there in their corner, like, yes, you know, uh, you know, I'm all right there. This particular show was about the black salon. In this, okay, so the main character, Rainbow, who's played by Tracy Ellis Ross, she's a mixed girl in real life. Her mother is Diana Ross. And her father is white. And in this role, she's mixed. And they play off of that and talk about her being mixed a lot. So they've spun another show called Mixedish to show about how she grew up. And then her daughter is on Grownish. So Blackish, she has another daughter that they decide that today is this hair salon day. This is the, the beauty salon day. And they're going. This little girl is having all this you know, turmoil around her hair because it wouldn't, it didn't look good that day. She was upset. She goes, she doesn't know what she wants to do. And they get to the salon and she's trying to decide whether she wants to relax or whether she wants it natural. And then the whole thing plays out into what the black salon experience is supposed to be about. And then was the, there was the problem. Okay. So what happened? So the first point of pressure for me was when they first got to the salon and she says to the young lady, the stylist who's played by Jill Scott, which is, she's fabulous. And she says, Oh, we're so sorry. We're about 35 minutes late. And the girl says, no, you're on time because I've got to do this to this person. And then I'm going to bring this person to the chair. And then I got to get that person back to the chair. And then once I do this, this and that, then it'll be your turn. I was annoyed by that. I was like, this is not going to be good. What what annoyed you about that? Well, because that's insinuating that black people don't have good time management in the salon. And I think out of context, without really understanding why the history behind why people were in the salon, someone watching that that was not privy to the black right. culture could think that that's unprofessional and just link us all as just saying black people are just simply unprofessional and they don't have good time management. I don't want to be represented that way. And so I mean, that's that, one. Uh, and and we, we have a long ways to go to get the beauty industry represented professionally as it is. I yeah. mean, that's what all of you do every day. As True. an educator, right. and then to do this, well, I think with one of the thing is, is that it also has this undertone. You have to remember now, compared to now, mind you, now I'm just going to, you know, this is where we get really, really honest because we're in a safe space, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Right. So if we're all separated and segregated, and then there's the white salon culture and the black salon culture, then we would typically be saying, if not saying it, that white is right and black is whack. And we're saying that all black people do it this way and that white people just have it all together and we don't. 
I didn't, I don't like that. That's not, I don't want to use the word fair, but that's not a great representation of all people. And it is interesting because you said blackish gets it right so many times with the narrative. What do you think? What, what I think? Okay, so let me just put what out a couple of happened? things. I'm gonna tell you right now what happened. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now what happened. So Tracy's daughter decides she doesn't know whether she wants to continue to get a relaxer. So she falls asleep because now the stylist is so far behind that they fall asleep in the lobby and she's having an animated dream that she's fighting with the big bad relaxer as a chemical and she's like kung fu fighting this thing and oh it's got to be the devil and it's the antichrist and I'm like. Seriously? So then she wakes up and then she decides she's good. When she finally, finally makes it to the chair, everybody's right wiping their eyes. She gets to the chair and they're trying to decide. So they're having what they was supposed to be a consultation. And so now everybody collectively as a community is speaking into it. So now this stylist over there is buying for her and this one's over there. Then, you know, there's this, this underlying like, well, they're going to start fighting in the salon. Oh so now God. there's like, are you trying to get my client out of salon? So now everybody ghetto and neck shaking and rolling and I'm like where they do that at right because one was like natural like one was natural natural, and the other one's like no she should have a perm and the other one's like yeah yeah so everybody's throwing it out so then Jill's like I know you're not trying to get my client because I'll cut you and I'm like say what and I'm like okay Jill Tracy what are you thinking and I was thoroughly annoyed by that because I felt like they missed the mark and I feel like they pushed us back about 30 years. I believe they reignited the stigma that black salons have these particular antics that go on into in the salon. And I think that they lumped everybody together without having a proper representation of us at this time. I believe that now there are horrible stylists with horrible work ethics, with horrible time management in any salon, in any race and in any culture. And I don't believe that it's all the black. I believe that that still exists. Now, I'm not going to say it does not exist, but I don't. It's never been my reality. And I've been doing here 26 years. So I don't want to see it represented as a whole. Her audience is too broad for her not to have been more effectively informed about how the black salons operate in more than one dynamic than one. I think that was very uh, she she was she was. She missed it. I think she missed it. And I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that she's got a new line coming out. She some does. products coming out. Yes. And I think that they use it in a place to villainize the relaxer. And I think that she was pushing uh, right. her own agenda for that. It's a natural, I mean, it really it's promotes natural, natural curls right. and natural texture. So it's anti-relaxer in order to use her, her products. That's too bad. You know, it's too bad, but I think it still sparks a conversation because I had it with a lot of people. I had a conversation with the clients that go to these salons. I had conversation with the stylists and a lot of them said, no, this really does still happen in some places. I said, but is it in yours? Is it in yours? Is it in yours? And everybody's like, no, not mine. So therefore, this shouldn't represent you because that's not you. So how do we, how do we, all of us listening, all of us here live, how do we, how do we contribute to raising the awareness of how badass the industry is, all textures, all races, all colors, to to represent us differently. Like if we were going to shoot our own blackest show Mm -hmm. today, like 
What can we all do as individuals? We would, we would showcase us in a very multicultural environment where all of us are operating together, singularly yet collaboratively in a space. We would show that no matter what your color was, no matter what hue, and I said this, I coined this the other day, no matter what hue is you, you would be doing, <laughs> no matter what hue is you, you would be doing whoever was in your chair, no matter what hue they were, and no matter what texture they had, and you would have white girls doing black girls, you'd have Spanish girls doing black, you know, doing white girls, and you'd have so on and so on, and everybody would just be doing hair, and we would be forming our own new culture of just being in the beauty industry, just being beauty professionals, Period. Not a black salon, not a white salon, not, you know, glorifying one culture while demonizing another. I think that's what we can do. I think we can further the movement by becoming a part of the texture versus race movement, becoming a part of that message, being the message, living the message. If you know that you do not know how to do anyone that does not look like you, then yes, you are prompted at this point to get more education to seek more education, to become that movement, to welcome people, learn a little about something else besides you. That was the biggest turning point in my life was to be around a whole bunch of white people <laughs> every day. It taught me a lot about me. I'm not kidding. It yeah, taught me a lot about imagine. me. I, I gained a lot of strength in those times and, and moments where I had to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to brand myself. What did I want people to think when they saw me? And I had to learn how to decipher what was a negative feeling versus just an, a, uh, a curious. Mm. Some people, when they walk by me, they look at me, they stare at me. And I mean, I can easily think, why is she staring at me? Oh, my God. Like, they're just looking at you. It happened just the other day. This lady stared at me all day. We were in a meeting and, and I just kept, no matter when I look, you know how you look at somebody and you smile and you look away and you look back and they're still looking, uh -huh. they're still looking at you and you're like, yes. And you kind of want to go, what is it? What is it? What is it? Yeah. Tell me more. And finally, after like three hours, she watched, she goes, oh my God, I just wanted to tell you, you're just so beautiful. I just couldn't stop. But I had already started making up a story in my mind as to why she was looking at me. Would she think, you know, blah, 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 da, da, da. You see right. what I'm saying? I yes. created a narrative around why she was staring at me versus thinking, well, maybe she just likes what she sees. Maybe she's just looking for an opportunity to speak to you. And sometimes that happens. So it, it yes. helped me. It helps me in those spaces. Wow. Projection yes. is so interesting. And I think we can all it, it relate to that. Yeah. Is that we are like, what are they thinking? And we get like, so like, I had something in or because, oh, you know, I'm in Oregon mm -hmm. where like there's trees and a ton of weed, you know? <laughs> and so you're never really sure like if someone's stoned or just happy or like <laughs> oxygenated, you know, because they're there, but everyone's really nice. And I had like, it, I don't even remember where I was, but someone was staring at me. I was in a mood. I mean, I, <laughs> duh. I, I don't know. And 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 I was feeling uncomfortable. And then she just is like, God, where was I? I think I just have my lash extension filled, done, or whatever. And she's like, you have the most beautiful eyes. And I was like, I almost start crying. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. Because you were already in defense mode. You were already ready to fight in the well, back fight. of your mind. I'm just messing. I don't even know how to fight. <laughs> You were already like, what is she looking at? Fight with my words. Amen. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Kia! Thank you so oh much for sharing even more of your awesomeness with us. I almost want to like link both of our episodes because they're so different, but both just so loaded with yeah. wisdom. Um, what events and things do you have coming up? You've got stuff going on this weekend here at ISSE, which of course won't, won't be as relevant after at when this recording publishes, but do tell us what you're doing this oh, weekend absolutely. and then what's next for events and stuff like that. Thank you for the opportunity, Nina, oh. to do so. Uh, so this weekend at ISSE, you can catch me at my class, which is going to be today at the 3.30 down in room, I think it's 202B or one. It's down in the other hall. I'll, I'll make sure that I give you all um, that information. Um, definitely follow me and keep up with what we're doing. We're going to go on tour soon. But before that, we have our, our main event, which is the Texture versus Race Summit which is a, a gathering of everyone that wants to come and learn all about texture, any texture, all textures, from straight, wavy, kinky, curly to coily. We're going to do all live models. We are doing all hands-in. We have a phenomenal educators that are coming. It's March 29th through 31st in Baltimore, Maryland. It's three full days of nonstop education. It's going to grow and blow your mind. It's like, in Baltimore. It's in Baltimore. Are you coming this year? I am part of Futurecast oh. with Hairbrain, which is March 31st. March 30th. 30th, which is March 30th. So. Oh. Uh, but, you yeah. know, I used to live on Charles Street in Baltimore. Really? Yeah, when I was 21. Oh my, my I, I was in a little brownstone apartment, and I shared a wall with the biggest gay bar on the East Coast <laughs> called The Hippo. Oh, okay. 1988. Those were awesome. the days. And Anyways, I just went on memory lane there for a no, minute. Okay, so, so Texture versus Race Summit. The Summit, yep. It's in March Baltimore. 29th to 31st. So if you're interested, nice. um, let me know because we're here for you. If you want to grow, you can definitely inbox me. You can email me. I have some flyers I would love to give you, you know, our live audience because you all are so beautiful. Thank you guys Thank for you. listening. And where do we find yes. you on the internet? So on the internet, of course, I'm at colorculture.com, texturevsusrace.com. They all go to the same place, but in Instagram, I'm Kia underscore artistically and texture versus race, the color culture on yeah, Facebook, so Kia artistically. No, just Kia Neal. But I'm telling you what, go to texture versus race, the group, go there and just go back to the beginning. Like just look at the conversation. I promise you, you'll learn something. You will learn your good. My grandma say, let me learn you. Kia, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. This has been so awesome. I hope I didn't bore you guys too much. Are you kidding? (laughs) And thank you everyone that attended live today. Thank you, PBA. Thank you, Hairbrained. And thank you, everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We'll see you real soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. To learn more about Passion Squared, you can visit us at passionsquared.net. You can find us on the gram and on Facebook at Passion Squared. And be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for joining us. Have an awesome day, guys. Love you.